Christmas, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, we're so very glad you decided to make us a part of your Christmas celebration. Now, if you've found yourself down with so much cold and snow this season, take heart. You can have hope. Ever since Tuesday, we get one more minute of light, and we are one more day closer to summer. Praise the Lord. Am I right? This past month, we've been journeying through some of our favorite classic Christmas tunes from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel to Joy to the World, exploring why they've lasted, some of them over 800 years, teaching us powerful truths about God, Jesus, the world, and ourselves. Our journey continues with the Christmas Eve staple, Silent Night. Now, just hearing, just hearing the title makes me take a breath and relax. Who hasn't felt the need over the last year for a silent night, a peaceful night, a restorative night? We've lived through a year of concerns on inflation in the economy, wars overseas, and political divisions right here at home, including in our own families, the folks we care about, our own people. We've dealt with tough medical diagnoses, and we've said goodbye to our loved ones through death. Sometimes we've had time to prepare, and other times they left us suddenly, unexpectedly, and tragically. We've had job uncertainties and job changes and life simply not going the way we thought, planned, or desired. Even up to today, so many of our Christmases has all been messed up with weather affecting the vast majority of the country. Some of you planning to be away for Christmas, but you're here with us now. All of us, every single one of us could use multiple silent nights, multiple times to be restored, rejuvenated, made new by the God who loves us. But the God who loves us so much, God came as a baby to set sin and death on a path to be defeated forever, to be undone. How did the song Silent Night even come to us? More than 200 years ago, a young priest in Austria in Europe, Joseph Moore, was out walking late one night in his village. It's the village of Orberndorf. This is a shot as it is today in the snowy winter. Now, not that long before Moore took his walk, the Napoleonic Wars had engulfed much of Europe and taken their toll on all kinds of people. But that war was now over. There was peace. Now, Moore looked over his town. It was quiet, this peaceful, this one December night. The serene night served as the inspiration for the song that grew way popular than just this one church or village. Silent Night has been translated into more than 300 languages, sung in churches, town squares, and in one famous historical moment during a war. World War I saw some of the worst fighting to date and included trench warfare with all sides taking heavy losses and very little territorial gain. The Pope in 1914 urged a ceasefire, but didn't look like anybody was going to take him up on it. In the middle of that chaos of war and cannon fire and shooting and sword and fights, suddenly, on Christmas Day 1914, in a trench in France, the Germans lit up their trenches, started singing carols, and wished the British a Merry Christmas. In the shell-blasted waste between the trenches in no man's land, scouts met, Germans sang Silent Night, the British were singing the first Noel. In the middle of the chaos and war, just for a few hours that Christmas, 1914, men from both sides laid down their arms and shared food, games, friendship, and carols. In the midst of the most chaotic event any of us can ever imagine, 
peace was found. Even if it was found just for a couple of hours, peace was found. Peace in the middle of chaos. In Jesus, we can find peace among any chaos, even in our own lives. Now, the song's mystique grows from here. Some people thought the words and the music had to be written by like a music superstar, like Haydn, Mozart, or Beethoven. People thought this song was so powerful, only a musical genius could have written it. But in 1994, that was put to rest. An original manuscript was found in the small town with the small town priest Joseph Moore's name on it with music by Franz Zaver Gruber. It is so incredibly appropriate. It is so poetic that the song that has so captivated Christmas for a couple of centuries was not written by a musical giant, not a musical superstar, but a regular, everyday pastor serving a common village and everyday church when he was just looking for some peace after a dark time filled with loss. A small town priest seeking this night, writing a song, changing so many lives, capturing this idea of God coming to earth as as a baby, God coming to earth to a no-name backwater town in the Roman Empire you couldn't find on the map in the first century. You could not have written a better origin story fit for Christmas if you tried. Part of the inspiration for this song was Jesus' birth story, and we read it in Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Now he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room, no lodging available for them. Now I'm struck with just how matter of fact this is. God in the flesh has arrived. The long awaited savior for the Israelites and the Messiah is here. And we get very simply, she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's it? That's all you got? No poetry? No angels singing? Just the facts. When it happened, who the political rulers were, why Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem. There was a full hotel rooms. They got to stay in the stable. Mary gives birth and wraps them in cloth. That's it. Very fact-based. Doesn't the fact that God of the universe who created each one of us, who created the stars in the heavens, the galaxies spinning around, the snow on the ground, every spring flower and blade of grass deserve a little more pomp and circumstance than what Luke gives us? Seems a very understated account of the arrival of God to the world. Now from this passage, it's not hard to see how we get the lyrics for a peaceful and silent night Mary and Joseph may have had. Verse 1 of the song, you know, silent night, holy night, all is calm and all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Now you can imagine more composing this as he is observing his village at night and snow-covered homes and snow-covered businesses. You definitely have this sense of peace and order from Luke's story, too. I'm sure there were moments. I'm sure there were moments of peace that very first night. But was the whole thing a silent night? 
every single moment of peace with this just few hours old baby? Was the journey to Bethlehem all roses and daisies and rainbows? I don't think so. There were peaceful moments among the challenges and chaos their lives would have been. Just like we ourselves find peaceful moments among the chaos that our lives can be at times. Imagine traveling with a woman who is nine months pregnant via donkey and a cart for 90 miles. No air conditioning, no heat, no suspension, no shocks on the cart or the donkey to discover there is no place for you to stay. You're going to have to go shack up with the animals. Joseph, I told you to call ahead for a room, but you didn't listen, did you? Of course not. You were too busy playing with the tools you got for Christmas. Now we got nowhere to stay. Well, Mary, you could have called just as well. I'm a carpenter, not a receptionist. Now, now, not to mention labor and contractions and the actual birth. And this was an era where there were no disposable diapers. Have you ever, have you ever tried to get a newborn to sleep? It can take a long time for parents to get them on a sleep schedule so parents are no longer walking zombies in their days. You know, yes, there was absolutely moments of peace like this song notes, but that would have been broken up with crying and rocking and feedings at two o'clock in the morning. Joseph and Mary had peaceful moments among the normal events of chaos and life. Jesus' arrival does mark the beginning of the end for chaos. His birth marks the beginning of the end for chaos, a turning point in history. His arrival points to the time when all will be peace, all will be healed, and death and suffering will be no more. The peaceful moments among chaos give us hope for the world that will be nothing but peace. Advent, the church season we just experienced, looks back at Jesus' birth to see what the future is going to look like. This future of no more tears or pain ever again. Jesus' birth marks the beginning of that new heaven and new earth. And we see it. We get a glimpse of it when we read the stories about him, the gospels and our Bibles. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he goes, he brings healing physically, spiritually, relationally to everybody who wants it. Everywhere Jesus goes, he brings the new heaven and new earth with him, full of love and grace, encouraging people to follow him in this life, right now, today, and in the life to come. Friends, every peaceful and joy-filled moment you've already had this Christmas, and every peaceful and joy-filled moment that is yet to come, carries with it a promise of a world that is all peace, where no one knows any pain or suffering or death ever again. This Christmas, may you see those peaceful moments and be reminded to give God thanks. Give God thanks for your blessings. Give thanks to God for the gift of Jesus, the one whose arrival we celebrate tonight, knowing Christmas was just the beginning of God's rescue plan for us and the whole world. Now, in the story from Luke, as soon as Jesus arrives, a group of people get a message. The shepherds get the message, an angelic message that the Savior's been born. They need to hightail it to Jerusalem and see what's happening. Silent Night does the same thing. We sing, Silent Night, Holy Night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glories stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing, Alleluia. Christ, the Savior, is born. Now, can you imagine Mary and Joseph just starting to adapt to this new three-person family and suddenly bursting into this holy, quiet moment is this group of shepherds just coming in from the field, Joseph jumping in front of Mary and the baby, wondering who on earth is coming in. They're all excited and chatting about the angel visit. 
And it's going to take some time to figure out what is going on. Finally, when Mary and Joseph get them settled down, they see the angels brought the shepherds a message. The shepherds said, we came to visit the Messiah, and you just gave birth to the Messiah. The excitement, the chatter, and joy that filled that room had to be incredible. It was an interruption of that new family, but friends, that was a heavenly interruption. Friends, heavenly interruptions point us to something much greater. In this story, Mary and Joseph get confirmation again that their son, Jesus, is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, and as we know, God in the flesh. Mary and Joseph both had dreams, separately had dreams of God telling them their son would be the Savior. But to hear some random shepherds that they didn't know come barely in and share that same information was indeed confirmation for them, that they're walking in God's path for them and for the whole world. Now, to be honest, interruptions in our day are annoying, especially when we've got a to-do list, we've got these things we need to get accomplished, and we're going to be bent out of shape if we don't. But so often, these heavenly interruptions, God is trying to get our attention, to wake us up, to bring a heavenly interruption to give us focus and clarity and confirmation, like it did for Mary and Joseph. Or this heavenly interruption might be an opportunity for us to live out the faith we say we've got, to live out the words and the calling of Jesus, to care for those that those others consider the least, to lift people up to provide food and shelter and care and love. You know, in high school and many years before, I was a band kid. I played clarinet, and then I played the bass clarinet. I switched over to middle school, and I think one of the main reasons was I could carry the bass clarinet at middle school. I was larger. So I played the bass clarinet for a number of years. When I was discerning to be a pastor, I gave a message, a short little sermon at our high school baccalaureate service, at this worship service that folks were invited to. So a couple days after that, I'm just going through my day, putting the bass clarinet away after another day of band class, and up comes to me a couple of students I haven't really talked with, and they come up to me, said they very much enjoyed the message that I gave, and said, hey, have you ever considered being a pastor? We think you might be pretty well gifted at that. I thought, well, that's crazy. That is a very unlikely place. I'm just in school trying to put my band instrument away, getting to the next thing, and here is God bringing a heavily interruption to my day saying, you know what, that is probably a path you need to consider. Something I've been testing and sensing and feeling just happened in a way I didn't expect at all. So as you go through your holiday, as you go into the new year, keep your radar up. Keep your eyes open for heavenly interruptions. The very thing that might annoy us in our day just might be the very thing God is sending to us to get our attention. God sent a heavenly interruption to Mary and Joseph to confirm once again that their son is going to be the Savior. Mary was not crazy. Joseph was not crazy. God had indeed chosen them both to care for God in the flesh. It sounds absurd. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds crazy. But that doesn't mean it is not true. Keep your radar up, friends. Pay attention. Watch for God to send heavenly interruptions your way so you get to participate, so you get to play your part in God's redemptive work in the world. And we get one more declaration on who Jesus is in verse 3 of Silent Night. Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. 
Grace has arrived and his name is Jesus. Jesus invites us every year, every day as a matter of fact, to make him Lord of our lives, to submit our desires and dreams to his desires and dreams. It's a choice each one of us needs to make. Who is Lord in your life today? Is it Jesus? Maybe you're the Lord of your life. Or is it the classics like money and power? In Jesus' day, Rome, the Roman Empire, was the most powerful nation, and they allowed people to keep their gods if they would worship Caesar as the ultimate god. But Christians said, no, Caesar, Jesus is Lord. But to say Jesus is Lord means Caesar is not Lord, and Rome was not happy about it at all. Now, it is frankly amazing we know anything about Jesus. It's frankly we know anything about him, the fact that he was not, not only the fact that he lived, much less that we know all these details about his birth, about being born in a stable for animals. Because Jesus comes from the least honored place in Judea, a backwater province of Rome. He wasn't a member of leaders. Jesus never left his homeland. He never wrote anything down. He spent the majority of time with 12 guys in a ministry that lasted only a few years. And most of his closest followers didn't really understand what he was talking about most of the time. We should not even know Jesus existed. Yet there is no other person that has had a greater impact on history than him. Changing education, transforming medicine, changing how we treat the poor and the marginalized, reframing our use of money, transforming concepts of friend and enemy. We even structure our calendar on the date of his arrival. After Jesus' brutal death, his followers began to preach this very strange thing, that he was risen from the dead. They started inviting everyone, regardless of their ethnic background, to follow Jesus as Lord of their lives, to find their way to how God made them to be. This was absolutely huge in world history. Christianity is the first trans-ethnic religion to break out of any village, region, or tribe. You just follow Jesus because you want to. They urged people to worship the one true God who came to earth and to reject the many, many, many gods of the Roman Empire. To give you an example of just how many gods you got to choose from, in one little rural town in northern India, archaeologists found inscriptions to these gods. Jupiter, Minerva, Apollo, Saturn, Mercury, Mars, Venus, Diana, Luna, Hercules, Mithras, Isis, and Duke of Avivus. 13 gods in one tiny little town. The Romans did not appreciate the Christians teaching that there was only one God and not many. It threatened the social, economic, and cultural order. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. The Romans called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in many gods. Just one God who came to earth as a baby. Christians are persecuted, and yet they far outlast the Roman Empire, living and dying in their belief that Jesus is God come down to earth who came to show us how God made us to be. One scholar put it like this, Christians are the destroyers of the gods, inviting everyone to worship Jesus regardless of their background. Christians destroyed one world and created a new one based upon Jesus' life and love. Friends, the God who we read about in our Bibles doesn't just express love. God is love. God is love. God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has been and will always be other-centered, self-giving, communal God. Jesus, the Son, fully embodies the love of God from his birth. And we see it most clearly when he gives his life for all of humanity on the cross. 
When we learn to trust Jesus' love for us, when we say Jesus is Lord in our life, we join in God's community of love and our very nature is transformed to love others for Jesus. We read about this idea over and over again in our Bibles. In 1 John, we know how much God loves us. We put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Friends, Jesus is Lord at thy birth. Is he Lord in your life today? Or is it money or power or you? Every day we're invited to wake up and simply say, Jesus, I'm yours. You are the Lord of my life. May I serve everyone in your love today. Amen. Make this Christmas the one you say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. I find my peace in you. I look for you in my interruptions, sometimes heavenly. Come what may. Let us pray together. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I am yours. Each and every day, may I serve everyone in your love, finding my peace, my hope in you alone. Equip all of us with your Holy Spirit to speak and to act and to live your words of life and love to all we meet. It's in your resurrected Savior's name that we pray together. Amen.